deep in London's beating heart lies a wall. I'd like to it be if you know the call. For if the wall steps aside, be not afraid of what you see. Cause the wizard world is opened up as has the Griffin. Hello and welcome to the Shriekcast. This is a podcast for lapsed Harry Potter fans. I'm ZC. And I'm Liz. And Liz, I've just been um, cleaning my desk off with a paper tower, towel because uh, I spill my drink. Now, you might be a little confused, <laughs> but hear, hear me out here. So this is our 21st episode. Uh-huh. The Streetcast can drink now. That we're, We are podcast co-host extraordinaires at this point. Finally. So F- I'm... Finally, I can drink while podcasting. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Oh, wait. Yes. Well, why are we doing that? Um... Uh, so as well as that, though, as well as that as that revelation, um, I'm going to flex my my podcast segue muscles here a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I spew my drink. That is a reference to the hit 2000 role playing game Deus Ex. One mm-hmm. of the designers on Deus Ex uh, was fuck. I forgot his name. Someone Grossman, whose brother is Lev Grossman. Sure, who sure. is an author who conducted an interview with J.K. Rowling. That is quite the segue. And not only that, this is going to have another layer, right? So okay. uh, the interview was posted on a website which we have not spent enough time talking about yet. Um, the Leaky Cauldron. <laughs> uh, and the Leaky Cauldron is a uh, a fan site that posts a lot of academic, I say that loosely, essays about harry potter and jk rowling and a lot of them are about authorial intent uh Mm. and by explaining to you what all these segues mean i am making sure that you do not misinterpret them Uh, (laughs) because the author is not dead i'm right here and i'm telling you about my wonderful segues it's crazy that uh people still talk about the author is 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 dead since it's so easily disproven um <laughs> seeing as the author is is speaking and alive um I, I don't know why people are always talking about this yeah she's right here um so while i was conducting my usual like google news sweep for harry potter news to talk about on today's episode i was very excited at first because i found this headline, you know, new, new uh, J.K. Rowling interview material from 2005 services. And I was like, ooh, fuck yeah. Let me let me walk that one back. So this is a new post, but it's an interview from 2005. Is that correct? Yes. So it was it was like the headline was that um, that like, oh, new interview material from 2005 has like been published or, or like sure. has been made available. And I was like, fuck yes, that's awesome. That's that's the kind that's the time period of JK Rowling that we want to be exploring because we need to discover we need to pinpoint this is something we've discussed off off air i think this is something w- that we should make clear to the listeners we've we've decided that we need to pinpoint where exactly JK Rowling became arch um, <laughs> and and interviews from the 2000s i think are really good uh uh, source of exploration to you know to poke around and see you know when what when and what was it that uh, that made her into 
the bizarre poster capital p poster that she is today yeah yeah you know how i I mean i know we're only in prisoner of azkaban right now for our readings but uh if you can think back to the last time you read half-blood prince which is the sixth installment of the series we spend a lot of time with dumbledore going back into voldemort's memories and kind of reviewing like damn what happened um so that's kind of what we're doing here we're going into the the (laughs) pensive um and just kind of reviewing uh little time capsules and to try to uncover what what maybe happened here that's right that's right so imagine my disappointment i guess uh When I found out that the interview material actually had not been, as far as I found, and maybe I'm an idiot and just couldn't find it, but I I was poking around and and couldn't see it anywhere. The actual interview material was not made available. What's been made available is Lev Grossman agreed to let someone else read the unused transcripts, because I guess this was stuff that was cut from another interview, right? Like, it was a long interview and they cut it down to something for an article. Um. And gave it to someone from the Leaky Cauldron who... A poor choice, if you ask me. Yeah, who who then, I would say, wrote a dissertation on it, but also won't show us the interview. So what what we have here is a three-part essay um, (laughs) about material that none of us have seen. And this was the article. And... My disappointment and, you know, my initial disappointment that, oh, this isn't the JK material, at least morphed into something like delight because this is insane. This is this article. <laughs> I'd completely forgotten about the Leaky Cauldron. I, I, I'd forgotten that it existed. I'd kind of forgotten what it was. But this is like such a perfect monument to like what it is about like fan culture and specifically the harry potter fandom or you know not even the harry potter fandom i would say a a significantly loud weird part of the harry potter fandom that this podcast was kind of a response to in the first place this is this is someone writing a an academic essay about an interview no one but them has read so we have there's <laughs> there's no way for us to judge it against anything. So all we have to go on is is the text, and it is quite something. Yeah, yeah, it it's um it, it is a kind of oddly written because it it reads like a defense of J.K. Rowling with interview material that no one has seen, but against an argument that like no one is making about this material because no one's ever seen it except for (laughs) them. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's running PR for an interview from 13 years ago that no one has seen. So I, I I don't know who it's for really. Uh, well, it's her world and she can do whatever she wants. Um, that, that, you know, I don't feel like that was the thesis of this, but it might as well have been. Might as well. Might as well. Well, where where even to begin here? I mean, th- I guess it starts off at a reasonably sympathetic place, and that the first thing they really get into here is her her arguing with people who think the mirror in book five is a plot hole, which it isn't. Like a character choosing specifically not to use an item is not a plot hole. No, um, no. So that part's fine. Then we get into the defense that, well, of course my books are sexist because they're about a boy thing. And that was uh, a weird 
That's definitely a weird Yeah, thing, yeah, I it was say. like sexism through the eyes of a boy who would of course be sexist. Um I don't know what kind of of defense that is. Do you do you have that quote handy because it's it's really like it's yeah. a very it's something. Yeah, so it starts off Harry's world is populated with many more interesting women as he ages and that was deliberate. Although some haven't really seen it that way. He was surrounded largely by men when he was 11 because boys seek out boys. But as he gets older, he finds it easier to talk and feel comfortable with women around him. So I put more women in. It is noticeable that Rowling turns a question about style into a question about gender. She suggests that the way, by the way, this is where we, that was a quote. And then we're going to get like 10 paragraphs of analysis here. Um, <laughs> she suggests the way the, the in which the books unfold from Harry's perspective. Harry is the eyes of the books in the sense that it is always Harry's point of view, meaning that they are not sexist per se, but instead echo what the author believes is the sexist perspective of a preteen boy. Hmm. Which Actually, to be J.K. Rowling isn't even saying the insane part here. It's it's this analysis. They're they're gleaning a lot from a really offhand response here. I I you know I I because of the way this is written, I'm not really sure what the feminist critique that they're responding to is. Like as in I I have not. It read mentions what they have an essay which I actually want us to check out. I think. Yeah, yeah. I I, I have not read it at, at, like right now. I do not. My assumption, if 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 this is, you know, a feminist critique of Harry Potter, my assumption is not Harry is sexist. Like I, I doubt that that is right. what they're what they're fully like couching their their analysis on. So I'm not sure again, this is like reading something that is a defense of JK. Rowling for something that i I don't know what what they're responding to, but um I, I highly doubt that that's quite the the defense that they maybe think it is yeah it, i mean the 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 essay is titled uh blue wizards pink witches and i think it's going to get into like the you know her jk rowling has a habit of making like overtly classic feminine traits like negative and i think that's probably what this this thing is going to get into but we should save that until actually we actually read it i guess but 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 i don't think anyone was accusing her of making harry sexist being a problem you know like yeah um i also am not so sure about the defense of um of basically writing a point of view character to maintain the status quo of 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 sexism with no commentary and no like <laughs> well i don't know i don't know there's a lot of stuff that is presented without commentary in harry potter that people seem to think is like um then so then there's part two where uh a thousand word essay is written about jk mistakenly saying vernon is harry's stepfather um, ah yes the freudian slip the, the freudian slip I, I think when I I was reading this and I and I read that part and I think there's like a picture, um, uh, like breaking up the paragraphs. I I think I said to you like this is a very Freudian analysis, but then it just outright says it in the next the next uh, next paragraph that it was a Freudian <laughs> yes. slip, which I think is it's just quite the leap in logic. I well, think spe specifically the a Freudian slip in service of like like a, a big part of this leaky cauldron thing that is again analyzing an interview that we can't see is that jk rowling has always been planting clues for us uh about the end of the book um and 
you know, like she's an episode of Lost or something. Like it says, like, you know, you know, J.K. Rowling is very smart. She would not intentionally mix up stepfather and uncle. It's like, I don't know, maybe she was tired. Like, chill. <laughs> you know, I don't think she needs I don't think she needs you to run to her defense on that one. Um, and that's how we get into fairy tales, and that's how we get into there's mwah, Chef Kiss here. There's one <laughs> direct quote from this interview that is posted here that I love, which is I had always been quite interested in folklore and the way that pagan and religious bleed together. Britain has a particularly rich tradition of folklore because we were invaded by just enough people to get this weird, you know, combination of religious and pagan beliefs melded together. And our tradition of storytelling is riddled with these mythical creatures and so on. There's so much to unpack in that, like, which, again, makes me so upset that we can't see the real interview here because one the like the, the she has a very clear delineation between what is pagan and what is you know capital r religious here which mm-hmm. is you know funny on its own but the line we were invaded by just enough people to get this combination of beliefs just enough people like is jk rowling mad about like the romans invading like is she is she going to the isle of wight and going like you fucking cowards you let th- you let them in <laughs> is maybe maybe happy about it because yeah, because, of, they brought. Um, because they brought all of this great folklore um, that true. she could then use in her book that's true that's true that's 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 a, a big one um this is also the part where it in okay speaking of of of, of dropping clues of, about where where things are going i'm gonna drop one here so there's a circular logic to this where the beginning of the essay says that you know jk rowling is always dropping clues for pre uh, for future and previous books uh because the ending makes you reread the the beginning and so forth um in this article about an interview from 2005 they took a screenshot of her twitter header from 2017 which was you know some medieval art of of pelicans <laughs> and we get quite a, an analysis here she let her blood pour over the bodies of the dead and so raises them from the dead in a mystic sense the pelican signifies christ it kills its young with its beak as preaching the word of god converts the unbelievers it weeps ceaselessly for its young as christ wept with pity as he raised lazarus thus after three days it revives its young with its blood as christ saves us for who has redeemed us with his own blood Rowling has said that her Twitter her Twitter headers reflect what she is working on. The striking Christian symbolism of the pelican in this header interacts with her 2005 comments about the way in which mythical creatures such as pelicans who can resurrect their young come from religious and pagan beliefs melded together. Both give strong support for an underlying religious symbolism of the many mythical creatures in Harry Potter. What? Uh, are you telling me you didn't have a Twitter header in 2017 that was a reference back to an interview you did in 2005? <laughs> like, what the fuck are they talking about? It's 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 a cool medieval drawing of pelicans. Can you can you chill out like a little bit, please? No, I mean the Leaky Cauldron. They have no chill whatsoever. No, at any at any time. So no, that this. Uh, I don't know what that means, but but J.K. Rowling has done it again. <laughs> I have nothing nothing more to say on the subject. The final part here, we're gonna maybe need to do a deep dive on on this and some other leaky cauldron stuff at some point because it, there, it, there's just so much going on here. But the 
I'm I'm beginning to construct my own academic theory here. The the longer a fandom goes unchecked, uh, the more likely it is that someone is going to bring up ring structure for storytelling. Uh, yeah, Be- that's true. Because because just like the Star Wars fandom uh had its own flirtations with with you know uh with the ring cycle of of storytelling where you know the the what's it the first is paired with the last the second is paired with the sixth the third with the fifth and blah 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 like like you know they're echoes of each other and they're always looping around um the last part of this interview thing uh features a a a segment where she's defending chamber of secrets against criticism um and saying that basically uh you'll be sorry you know if you didn't like chamber of secrets you're gonna love it when you find out the half-blood prince is actually all that makes all that shit matter uh which is the horcrux thing right like she was teasing horcruxes i don't know if that counts as ring structure i don't know if Chekhov's gun counts as like i don't know if uh well okay Actually, I, I, have, I can put this to the test because I just read Chamber of Secrets and I did know that the diary was a horcrux and it really <laughs> didn't make me like it anymore. No, in fact, I, I think I, it made me like it less, honestly. Yeah, I, I feel like any of any of that sort of thing tends to, maybe I'm just cynical, but like the invisibility cloak being the Deathly Hallows and the horcrux being the diary just doesn't really add to my enjoyment of the previous stories. No, no. Um, I remember really not liking Half Blood Prince, so maybe that that is evidence that they <laughs> are paired together. Yes, that's in the true. ring they structure. Are, yes, they they echo each other uh, in in a literary fashion where they both suck ass. I think <laughs> um, it is it is well worth reading this if you are interested in just like seeing. Uh, is this what happens when when you're just a, a when you don't read another book ever like like is this where you get to because i because if if you know if if religious symbolism and like you know echoing structures and stuff is what you know these 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 fans are really into i can i can email me at, at streetcast at gmail.com i can recommend you some some books you know like like you don't have to do this with harry potter i swear i'm thinking that that the leaky cauldron they're kind of doing the same thing we are, right? They they are deep diving into into sure. the lore and J.K. Rowling, except they are they are kind of our our opposite. They are our kind of you know shadow Ooh, world um, foil. Exactly. They they they're doing you know the same thing, but just in the opposite way. And and um, I think that it's time that Lev Grossman sends us the same transcript, oh, and, and then and then we we have to to answer answer the leaky oh, cauldron God. and do it in thank our way thank you for this um, idea I, I i'll see if if we can get this transcript because it, it, it's not like it's a secret unless she says something really fucked up in here which i don't, I don't think that she might say something <laughs> dumb but like this is just like running pr for an interview that doesn't exist at this point and i we need to get our hands on it somehow so yeah I have yeah. I have read one of Love Grossman's books, so I don't know if that uh, that helps. But but I've I, played his I brother's have. video games. Um, and I'll let him. I'll hey, big fan of what your brother does. But if you want to move up the rankings, one he slide us this interview. You know, hey, I thought his book was okay. Oh, I don't know what good. I don't know what better resume we could have um, to, yeah, to getting well, this this interview. 
my co-host thought your book was all right and i liked dishonored so you know what else is there <laughs> uh so that's 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 that um and then i think the other thing that we uh we should just leave here is maybe a teaser for next time we decide to sure. visit Ricky cauldron uh is uh an article header here titled if the author is dead who's updating her website damn so this is like a thing that they do like damn the leaky cauldron out here railing against uh uh the invading uh uh death of the author critics i guess yeah yeah um you have to you have to put up a, a defense against that uh by not knowing what it means or or anything like that but they they love jk rowling i'll give them that oh my god so if you want to see here's a here's a more succinct uh description or example of how much they love jk rowling there's an article here about how she was invited to join the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. And mm-hmm. it's about, I would say, like an 800-word article for this really tiny piece of news. Sure. But at the very end here, of course, the Academy isn't the only group that recognizes exceptional achievement. And in particular, Rowling is a literary genius and legend. It's truly the fans all over the world who keep the magic of the wizarding world and the fandom thriving year after year. And those fans, whoever and wherever they are, share a common bond. In fact, even the famous cannot help gushing over the author. Entertainment Weekly reported that Rowling, along with singer Adele, recently attended a Taylor (laughs) Swift concert in London, where they took snapshots together backstage. Swift later wrote, I'm so grateful for these women, for the words they've written and the words they've created through their art. Indeed, so are we. That's powerful stuff yeah that's powerful stuff leaky cauldron i would just like to suggest <laughs> calm down maybe a little bit just calm no, down they just, they just can't they can't <laughs> they've been no. doing this for 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 how long like 20 years yeah this is an old website this is the gold standard for the harry potter like online community i think so i feel like i i'm always saying how bad the harry potter wiki is i will i will say in its defense, I guess this is not really a very good defense, but most fan wikis, I think, are pretty bad, like in how they approach curating their material. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the Harry Potter one is like pretty awful <laughs> in that like half the stuff. I'm just not even sure where they got it or if someone is just making it up. Um But I will say that I feel like the Leaky Cauldron existing kind of explains that because I feel like the fans that would be so dedicated to like carefully curating the wiki are just doing this leaky cauldron thing instead. <laughs> they're busy with they're busy with with a higher calling. Exactly. <sighs> yeah. Um so so that's it for leaky cauldron news. We do have one other piece here. Uh or I have another piece here. I don't know if you have any hot news for us, but uh we we got some fantastic beasts uh news. Um, oh. it's not it's not the big one comic con hasn't happened as of this recording yet so so we don't know the true measure of, of whatever train wreck is coming but we did get a great interview with jude law who is playing young dumbledore <laughs> um and they asked they asked him the question the the gay dumbledore question uh his response was joe rowling revealed some years back that dumbledore was gay that was a question i actually asked joe and she said yes he's gay <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Joe. 
but as with but as with humans, your sexuality doesn't necessarily define you. He's multifaceted. I suppose the question is, how is Dumbledore's sexuality depicted in this film? What you've got to remember is that this is only the second Fantastic Beasts film in the series. And what's brilliant about Joe's writing is how she reveals her characters, peels them to the heart over time. You're just going to get out to know Albus a little in this film, and there's obviously a lot more to come. We learn a little about his past in the beginning of the film, and characters and their relationships will unfold naturally, which I'm excited to reveal. But we're not going to reveal everything at once. Is Did- Dumbledore going to come out as straight? Oh, Dumbledore is going to have like a, a, a like. I, I just can't believe that he clarifies like yes to still Dumbledore. She said he's still gay. Yeah. Well, the part that I love about this is like, like his agent or whatever clearly ran him through what to say if he got asked this question, right? Like this, mm-hmm. this is a very prepared answer. But the best part of it is that it hits pretty much every criticism in the wrong way, which is like, yes, like obviously people are more than just their sexuality, but also Dumbledore has been appearing in media for twenty five years at this point, and he's never been gay in anything. So I think we're running out of that excuse. Um, Then there's the, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 we're not going to reveal everything at once, which is like, you need to stop treating these things like they're a big reveal. Like, are we just going to get like the, the, the scandalous reveal that Dumbledore is gay at some point rather than just like happening naturally, like a normal part. Like this is like Every way you could answer this question, this is the wrong way, I guess, you know? Yeah, I'm not surprised. No, I'm I'm not surprised. I do love that the headline for this article is, is Jude Law says that future Fantastic Beasts films will be gayer. <laughs> <laughs> Which, thank you. Thank you to the website. Uh, that was the Gay Times something that wrote that but thank you that's a good headline um yeah i like that uh and we can only hope we can only hope uh just like like, it's like it's it's, it doesn't need to be a fucking big deal can you just acknowledge it please like the author jk rowling said this years ago at this point she would have said it sooner if some if they if she knew we'd be so happy she knew if someone had just told her i have said this before but i believe it in my bones that she regrets it she, I, oh, I think totally. that when she, I think when she said it, she never thought she would do another Harry Potter thing. I think she thought she was done, so it was just going to be like an easy thing to say and then never look at again. And Absolutely. now she's just like cursing this this horrible <laughs> thing she's done. One hundred percent with you on that one. Um, so that's all I have. Did you have any news? Any news stuff to to cover here? Uh, yeah, I guess a little bit. I just want to touch a, uh, a bit on the kind of latest Crimes of Grindelwald promos that they've been doing, which is all centered around the Big Seven. Have we talked about the Big Seven on the on the podcast yet? We briefly brought up the Big Seven last time, I think, which is when in I thought it was fake because it's always it's always <laughs> appeared it's always appeared in like those you know Tumblr and Twitter like gifs where they've tweaked the colors to look all fucked up and it's like a, a, a fake ass quote where. They'll say, like, you know, all you got to do in life to be happy is get rid of your fake ass friends, Drake or something. And it's like, <laughs> we never said that. Like, you know, and it's, so it's, all, it's always been this quote where it's like, I've I've I call them the big seven and none of them know how much just how much I love them. And it'll be like a picture of J.K. Rowling in a pretty dress. Like that's that's 
that's the level but apparently it is real i found i found the clip where she said it It was at the deathly hallows 2 premiere um and they were all standing behind her and it's very weird yeah so i guess so they're the actors that played the quote-unquote core kids according to pottermore um and and like they're and they're talking about this now on on the official pottermore website in the context of crimes of Grindelwald to like ramp into their promo stuff. Um, and I just encourage anyone to go onto my favorite website, Pottermore and read this article. Um, and, and, and I, I think it's a, a kind of fun one because it refers to other roles that, that those, those actors um, have been in since Harry Potter, but the way it's framed is in, uh, I guess I would describe it as like there are kind of two ways to look at this. And one of them is like, look at these these kids that helped me bring my story to life. And the other one is like, wow, look at these people that got to work on my movie. <laughs> and I would say <laughs> that it's much more that like I like I like we kickstarted these these kids careers. Um, also, there's a little bit of shade thrown at Twilight describing Robert Pattinson's um, role as the sparkly vampire. <laughs> yes. So there's just some good little little stuff in there. Just 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 a little bit of, of, of you know, friend fr- frenemies, should we say? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if Fantastic Beasts, the movie, did not do very well. Uh, but I do find it interesting that this is kind of their jumping off point to talk about Fantastic Beasts is to talk about the actors that grew up on the sets of the Harry Potter films. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I This is also a case of it, it's Pottermore, so maybe this was written five years ago and we just don't know. I'm I'm pretty sure it's new um merely because i found it through their twitter account and they posted Ah. it as saying like here's our new like countdown uh feature for crimes of grindelwald so it is definitely related to that um i feel like at some point we'll have to workshop our big seven um you know probably you know lockhart snape uh the the girl that played hannah abbott in the first movie that i think is chris <laughs> columbus's daughter uh so we'll, we'll, we'll be able to we'll dobby. be able to kick that one around dobby Do- obviously dobby died he died yeah, he to died. make that movie yeah they killed him yeah they did fucked up um, but what an actor yeah for sure so that that's all i have for us yeah actually i think my the the number one in my big seven is the picture of david yates carrying the 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 the, the dobby like prop <laughs> looking that's, confused uh, yeah that's one and two <laughs> <laughs> all right well that's that's our that's our, our news discussion for today there's there you know not a lot going on but but boy if you like uh essays about interviews that don't exist then <laughs> We got you covered here on the Shrieking Shack. Liz, do you want to take us to our reading? I would love to. Um, so for this week, we read chapters five and six. So chapter five was called The Dementor. Uh, and we, we pick up where we left off. Harry's waking up on the last day of his dream vacation, best vacation ever. He 
then they go to the the train station and Mr. Weasley pulls him aside and is like, I got to tell you something. And Harry says, oh, I already know. I heard I overheard you talking to Mrs. Weasley and I know that Sirius Black is is coming to kill me. And then Mr. Weasley says, I don't want you to go after him. And Harry thinks that's really weird. Why would he go after someone that's that's trying to kill him? They get on the train and they go to kind of the back train compartment. They are alone in the compartment, except for uh, sleeping Professor Lupin. And Harry tells Hermione and Ron what Mr. Weasley said. And Hermione also says, don't don't go after Sirius Black. It says, like, you're always looking to run into trouble. And Harry says, no, I'm not. Why does everyone think that? The sneakoscope goes off while in the in the train compartment ron talks a lot about hogsmeade and how great it is and and hermione says that it's the only all wizarding settlement in britain and harry again is really bummed out because he's definitely not gonna be able to go to hogsmeade if sirius black is trying to kill him draco malfoy shows up and tries to cause some shit but sees lupin in the compartment and decides not to uh, and then the lights go out, the train stops because a Dementor is on board. Harry passes out and hears screaming. He was the only one and gets really embarrassed. Lupin sends the Dementor away while he's passed out and gives all the kids chocolate. On the way up to the castle, Malfoy taunts Harry for fainting. And then when they uh, go into the castle, McGonagall uh, finds them and says, Harry and Hermione, come with me. Ron, go to the feast. And McGonagall has called the nurse to check over Harry and Harry is really embarrassed again for passing out because of the Dementor. And then she also talks to Hermione separately about her coursework, but we don't hear what it is, but it's the time Turner. Um, Dumbledore makes announcements at the feast. And those announcements are that there are Dementors at the school. Um, and then also they have new professors and it's Lupin who's teaching defense against the dark arts and Hagrid who's, who's teaching care of magical creatures. We also get Snape looking really, really mad about Lupin. And then the feast is over and everyone goes to bed. A lot happens here. Well, both of these chapters have a lot going on. This one moves fast. I think um, through a lot of important stuff in a way that's really fun. Um, yeah. Uh, uh and I think this is a a testament to just how much better this book is so far at weaving the mystery into the story, I think. Definitely. I th- I think that's my, been my biggest surprise so far. And honestly, it's, it's done more to highlight how bad it has been in the last two books <laughs> uh-huh. because it's just so seamless. Like, e- like everything that's being revealed in these these last few chapters and how kind of the the escalation or or the like added twist in the mystery this time is is like why do people think that harry would go looking for Sirius black it's just it's so it's just well just weaved in it feels natural and doesn't feel like just a one character walking in to like say something important right well you're never you're even though we get a lot of we're getting a lot of answers already the answers are never enough to make you forget about thinking about what what else is involved in this mystery like Mm -hmm. it's like last chapter you know we got harry overhearing that sirius black is trying to kill him right yeah and then when he reveals that to uh arthur weasley then it becomes you know like you said like why would i go looking for him 
so we've got like a really natural evolution from like oh there's a killer on the loose oh the killer is a, a famous wizard named Sirius Black oh he's trying to kill me oh why do people think I'm going to look you know go looking for him like in I'm th- I'm just comparing this and like how this is evolving so naturally throughout this early part of the story compared to and as much as I love Philosopher's Stone the mystery in that was they would go to Hagrid and Hagrid <laughs> would accidentally say something as the chapter ended and then they would go and investigate it like that that was how the mystery worked in that one and it's just really refreshing to see it written this way um uh also the sneakoscope I love the sneakoscope um I so spooky i i really like that that touch i guess it's not like it it has it has such a mood like the, this book is so moody so far and that that sneakoscope going off and then ron always has something that he thinks it must be going off for that's, yes. that's different and it's so good that's that's the part that like this is so I'm I'm really interested because we do get introduced to it at least surreptitiously, not not by name, but the the concept of the time turner in these chapters, um, mm-hmm. and the, the the I I've always as much as I've I've had this weird thing where I've always thought that you know this was my f- I always remember this being my favorite Harry Potter book, but it's also mm-hmm. where the time turner is introduced, which I which I've always also thought is like not bad for the story of Prisoner of Azkaban, but like a, an object that completely trashes uh your ability <laughs> to tell stories beyond prisoner of azkaban you know um and uh i'm curious to see how it holds up though because i would almost say that the sneakoscope is on that level but it's handled so well here where like like the concept of a of a magical object that buzzes and vibrates and stuff when it's near someone untrustworthy like that could so easily like kneecap your story uh it could so easily just like ruin storytelling because it would either like everyone would carry them around but the way that they they frame it here we're like you know uh, uh multiple characters have said that you know oh it's cheap it's kind of tacky you know don't pay attention to it uh there's ron with excuses for why it would be going off that are pretty you know believable uh it works it takes an object that like shouldn't work in a story and makes it work. And I really like it. Yeah. Because it's all, like you said, the, the, the kind of twin reasoning that like most people think that they're unreliable and they are, you know, sometimes sold as like tourist trap type, type merchandise kind of stuff. And then also the uncertainty, because if you're around someone untrustworthy, you don't know if it's because of, you know, like Ron said, I wasn't supposed to be using Errol or, you know, it's there's a there's a man that is in that rat, you know, mm-hmm. like 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 really, I think that that's pretty reasonable that if you carried a sneakoscope around all the time with you and even if they are 100 percent reliable, there's probably always someone untrustworthy around, right? right like someone yeah. that's doing something they're not supposed to do. So I don't know. I, I think that's it's very cute. It's like a better version of the remember all, honestly. Like it's very similar, but uh, more functional in the story. Yeah, um, I-, I think that like between the sneakoscope and the Dementor, it's a scary. There's some scary spooky this is stuff a, going on. This is a spooky chapter. The Dementor is is 
very a lot scarier than i remembered it being like i mean like the concept has always been frightening right but this scene where like the train stops and they get on and and they're they're like i guess interrogated isn't really the right word because the dementor doesn't say anything you know but but it's you know it it looms over them it's it's quite a harrowing description um yeah uh and and i i like the um the you know the the thing with lupin uh giving you know saying that chocolate you know will will help you know will, will will help i it's one of those things where i i really appreciate it in the story insofar that i like that the i like i think it's cute that like oh this thing gives you this magical thing gives you depression and like you know chocolate will help <laughs> in a pinch you know like that's cute i like that there's one of these things on on the Pottermore like oh, no. thoughts thing where she talks <laughs> where she makes that more explicit you know where it where it's like oh like you know when I'm like when you're depressed chocolate can help but it can't solve everything um I'm like thank you I got it I get Damn, the, I true get, I, yeah it's just one of those things where it's like I, I like it I like the that 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 metaphor but but like you don't need saying any more about it than is said in this chapter is 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 casting too much light on it yes i agree with that um are you ready for Ginny watch yes Ginny watch she sits on him (laughs) Uh, not not where i was going with this however um (laughs) she does she does she does um i I left that out of my summary um (laughs) i i have to put I have to give credit where credit is due. Everyone is always said like there there's a back and forth in the fandom. Someone's like, I fucking hate Ginny. She never should have ended up with Harry. It doesn't make any sense. She's she doesn't do or say anything. Um, and then other people are like, damn, you need to read the book again. Um, there is more Ginny than I remember. Um, she she is in this chapter, and, and to be fair, this is literally three lines that she's in this chapter. Um where she, we are we see her interacting or like doing something i mean she's (laughs) she's in the story right like i'm not trying to be too generous um there the first time uh i think it's at the train station percy is seeing his his girlfriend penelope clearwater and there's a line Ginny caught harry's eye and they both turned away to hide their laughter which is honestly more more uh interaction between Ginny and harry than i was expecting Mm -hmm. um yeah I, i did like that she also tries to go into the the train car with with Ron, Harry, and Hermione, and Ron sends her away, and she says, "Oh, that's nice." Yeah, I uh, like that line too. Which, like, I I like that. I mean, it makes it makes sense because obviously Harry like wants to tell his friends something that isn't for everyone, but it's the like younger sister tagging along, but she's not that much younger. It's it's just a it's a good like little moment, and then when all the lights go off. And the Dementor is, you know, is there. Both Neville and Ginny show up in their train car, and Ginny does sit on Harry um, because it's I actually, dark. In 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 general, I did really enjoy, like, not just for the Ginny Ginny watch, but the um, that that scene that's like entirely in the dark, and it's like a page of dialogue of everyone like. like Like running into each other and sitting on each other and saying who's there um yeah and then and 
and then the other thing is that, that Neville and Ginny show up before the Dementor arrives at the train car. Um, when the Dementor leaves and Harry is waking up and has passed out, he sees Ginny. Ginny, who was huddled in her corner looking nearly as bad as Harry felt, gave a small sob. Um, and Ginny a few times is, is said to have reacted like more strongly to the Dementor than like everyone but Harry, um, which is more of a nod to the Chamber of Secrets thing I, I mean i think that's like that's what that's supposed to be right like she has some pretty bad memories because she was yeah almost killed the year before yeah i didn't actually so, i didn't catch that that's that's a good point so that, that, that's it's more than i expected <laughs> that's more than that yeah that's more than i would have expected after the awful way that the chamber of secrets left her you know like the yeah like Ginny was, was fine Ginny <laughs> was, was back to normal um yeah the so so harry so so you know harry hears a scream so he, you know he's got some some memories of of voldemort murdering his parents like that's the implication here right mm-hmm. um yeah i i i thought that this scene was really good and, and quite spooky and um it's a great first introduction to these uh because like they, they've been mentioned and everyone said like oh the azkaban guards are really mean and whatever but like like this is a lot. Um, I, I will say I find the it doesn't matter, but like the logistics <laughs> of like who stopped the train, how like like was it was the Dementor just like chilling on the train tracks, like waiting for the train <laughs> to stop, and then like you know flashed his badge on his way in, like like what? It doesn't matter, but it's kind of funny to think about him just like hanging out there waiting for the train, like oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna spook these kids maybe serious black is on there <laughs> it's oh also uh lupin is now the official um uh like caster of of portable fire i'm pretty sure that hermione never does it again when her, when lupin made the the fire where it says like he appeared to be holding a hand handful of flames i was like lupin took hermione's special power <laughs> he stole her like to me to me, what that that says more, like I, I just get the image of like, especially because like Lupin's one of the Marauders, right? I yes. I just think of like people doing douchey Zippo tricks or something when I see that oh, now. No! And, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, like like Lupin and you know the Marauders were just doing dumb hand fire tricks when they were teenagers, and like now it came in useful. Oh my god, I'm just picturing like Lupin waking up in the train car and be like, hey kids, check this out. Doing some, <laughs> some, some, some sweet Zippo tricks. You kids want to see something really cool? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Professor <sighs> Lupin's so dope. <laughs> no wonder the, the kids like Lupin so much. Yeah, he, he and he lets them he lets them smoke uh, out behind the classroom too. He's yeah, he's the cool teacher. Um, <laughs> he casts a Patronus too, right? Like this is the first Patronus scene. Uh, it says yeah. something silvery comes out of his wand, yep. um, which I I thought was interesting. Um, yeah, that does that does that come? I forget if if the the uh, Harry's actual capital P Patronus happens in this book or not. It I, does. It does. It, okay, um, okay. Which means that we are closing in on being able to do our Pottermore Patronus reveals. Oh, I feel like I we. I feel wait. like we shouldn't until Harry casts his his. Uh, Agree. Yeah. No. We should Patronus. Say um, it's special. But, we, but it's yeah. so special. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, Joe. 
Um, so everyone can get excited for that. And also, in the meantime, anyone listening to this should go and take their Pottermore Patronus quiz. Yes. yes. In preparation. Uh, and wa- specifically, watch the Pottermore videos of the Fantastic Beasts cast doing it. And... Uh, <laughs> And the one of 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 the actor who plays Neville being really disappointed. Um, that one's really good. Yeah. Uh, I have a question. Sure. Uh, so they get off the train and they they, yep. they they go to the carts. And since they flew to school last time, Harry doesn't know that they you know that there are carts that take the non first years to the castle. Mm-hmm. Um, shouldn't Harry already be able to see? The Thestrals? Because he watched his parents die, right? Uh, I think that that, I think that he might not have, that might, it might be the the movie, uh, well, I think he heard her die, but I don't know if he was oh, still he in the same room. It. Like, I think that he was in another room, like, in the crib or something, is the Got explanation. It. And in the movie, we obviously see that excellent, excellent flashback scene <laughs> where, where, you know, uh, lily dies dramatically in front of the crib and you yeah. see the baby the baby harry potter going like no um yeah, so I, don't, was, I think that's a movie special okay 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 so that okay so maybe not fair for me to pick on that i i i i just i i just have such a strong image of that the movie version where that actress like flops very dramatically in front of him uh it's well it's a, it's a, a really powerful scene so i don't blame you God, I wish J.K. Rowling had taken that role. I know. Um, that's so uh, Talk about death of the author. <laughs> <laughs> that's why she didn't take it. That's why she didn't take it. She knew. She knew that if she did, everyone would be sending her that gif every time she complained about death of the author. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, so, so okay. So, I'll, I'll, I'll give him that. The uh, festival thing is fair. I love the atmosphere like this whole chapter i mean like we you know we just got the off the dementor thing with like flickering lights and the really strong imagery of you know harry's you know heart stopping in his chest and feeling cold and drained and stuff and then there's like the the rain is coming down real hard like this is the this is the most miserable hogwarts has ever been and it's i love it i I love it love it (laughs) so striking um uh yeah, it's it's a nice change. I I I'm getting excited for the movie because uh, I remember it being really quite striking. Also, but like the, the imagery in the book too is is more than I expected. It just has this Halloween vibe constantly. Yeah, um, I'm also really appreciating. I think it's in both chapters, but I'll mention it here. I'm enjoying the kind of. Um, little like growing of tension between Hermione and Ron. I feel yes. like it's going to be tiresome later. Uh, but the, at this point, it's nice to see conflict with the three of them. Yeah, um, and definitely. I think it's developing naturally and they're kind of, kind of snipping at each other and, and uh, it's, it's good. Um, and I think it comes up more in the next chapter as well. Um, we have a, a big, huge thing that happens in this chapter uh, huge here for the podcast in that we get our first mention of the Shrieking Shack. Oh, that's the right. The the most haunted building in Britain. The most severely haunted building in severely Britain. Severely haunted. Um, and I would say this is, uh, you know, probably the most severely haunted podcast. Absolutely. 100%. I, I, I love to in that scene. So, so one, of course, we get our, our Shrieking Shack name drop. 
but two, I love the difference in like you said, like like one that like the conflict between Hermione and Ron is starting to bubble up a little bit. Um, I again, just like with the Crookshanks thing, and and you know versus Scabbers, there is there is such a good characterization of both Hermione and Ron here in like what what excites them about Hogsmeade. Like Hermione is is excited in the history and like you know like oh it's you know it's it's a wizard only uh settlement it's the only one in britain it has all these historical buildings in it blah 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 i know all these facts but like ron you know he's he's steeped in this culture he is he is a, you know a lifelong wizard who's lived in <laughs> wizarding society all he cares about is that there is a really good candy store uh, and I, I love that so much like like just like their priorities here are so believable for these characters yeah i uh, this book is so good i i'm so like we're only on our first chapter of this week and i'm just like this is the best this is the best stuff i feel like i've said that before um uh-huh. maybe maybe the last time i said that was the burrow stuff from <laughs> which is true though last the bur- book the- yeah uh, at that point the burrow stuff i think anyway in a similar way but we're getting what what we've gotten so far out of this book. I think that we're both gushing over is the thing that we loved about the burrow just spread throughout the whole story so far. Mm-hmm. And and just and just none of those moments where the mystery is like paraded out to you by a character that's like, "Hi, I'm Justin Finch Fletchley. Uh, my parents <laughs> are Muggles, by the way." Um, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I I just, I'm, I'm really enjoying this. I, I love Harry, how embarrassed Harry is for passing out. Oh, Um, it's so relatable. Like, like Harry not looking cool in front of his peers. Like all the, the, like the Malfoy stuff is so believably mean. Um, (sighs) Like this is the, weirdly, like we've said before how, or at least for me, it's so easy often in these books to forget how young the characters are supposed to be because Mm -hmm. like in book one and two there are some and this isn't really a bad thing i wouldn't say this is like a criticism so much it's just an observation but like they are so logical and um witty and 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 clever that you every now and then it'll just be oh right he's supposed to be like 12 in this book or whatever but like you know here he's 13 and him being embarrassed for fainting in front of, front of his friends and having like another kid bullying him for it. Like that is so much more that's that like that's kid stuff, right? Like that's, yeah, that's so much more believable as like kid drama, which is really new and interesting for this series. Yeah. I, I, and you know, I'm probably going to just give a little bit of a, a little bit of credit for Draco Malfoy fans because you know, book two is really something <laughs> Malfoy is a psychopath in that book he, he, <laughs> he wanted, is he wanted Hermione to die like, I wish Hermione would be fucking murdered because I'm extremely racist like and he's he's out of control absolutely a psychopath in book two and I've always been like damn I don't know how people can like Draco granted Draco is a dickhead here absolutely he's a bully um he's rude to harry who is our main character and we like harry um but the the kid stuff kid drama of the bully 
making fun of of Harry for passing out is just it just scales that back. Um, it's a it's a good soft reset, I would say, of like of the the, the level of Draco's villainy. You know, like <laughs> like this is this makes him much more like likable and enjoyable as like oh he's a jerk but you know he's still a fun character a little bit more sympathetic here than when he was like shouting white power slogans in the hallways and like yeah (laughs) the main (laughs) character would die you know like that a little less uh sympathetic towards that but yeah i i like this this return to like petty child drama yeah, because because uh, all like bullies in stories are fun. Like that, yeah. like this is this is a fun conflict, and I'm like Draco is a fun character right now. In the same way that like Snape to me at this point in the story is a fun character. Um, yeah. Draco was not a fun character in book two. <laughs> no, not at all. No, 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 no. Um, yeah, it, it's just, it's not it's nice to see that dial back and like as as much of a jerk as malfoy is it's also like aside from like it's funny that the the thing that harry is most thinking the most about is how embarrassing it was that he you know fainted you know rather than like like i mean the real thing here he he it comes up but he sort of pushes it back down but like you know what was the screaming he heard you know what what was actually happening but he's he's most pissed off that he like didn't look cool in front of his friends yeah and he's like oh am i am i am i weaker than everyone else and then and then of course uh pomfrey says like something about it affecting like more delicate people more and he hated that um yeah well, I mean, no he's like, i'm not delicate that. yeah he's like i'm not delicate and she's just like of course you're not like, like it's just really good <laughs> really good line there yeah let's talk about the, the that mountain mcgonagall and pomfrey thing yes like that, that scene that um it's it's very good <laughs> yeah i i i love that their first response is like oh he needs some chocolate uh you lupin know, like, knows his remedies you know yeah, lupin, chocolate <laughs> yeah lupin lupin knows that kids love chocolate um there is a specific scene that I love, or a specific like line that I love so much between McGonagall and Pomfrey, where they're just sort of like it mentions that they they just sort of like cast each other a look about the Dementors and stuff, and I I cannot I know that I keep on doing I keep on bringing up Simpsons references on this podcast, but I cannot th- read that without thinking of like any time like Patty and Selma like look at each other in the Simpsons and just go like mm, <laughs> or something, you know like. <laughs> it's so like just like the or the marge groan you know just like it's a very that that's a, that's madame pomfrey actually hasn't really been characterized much but like like her having this like relationship with mcgonagall like their friends is, is a really nice uh i think that's a great great pairing of characters yeah definitely i the scene is just all, i mean all, all the scenes honestly have been so vivid and and this one is 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 the same i it's all it's so it's so snappy i feel like i say that a lot it's just it's very pleasant to read and it paints such a vivid picture i guess in a way that chamber of secrets did not and i (laughs) I don't mean to always frame it that way but but just being in touch with like the, the characters and and their 
kind of feelings and, and how they're navigating the world and are friends with each other. And, and it paints a picture outside of just Harry um, that, you know, like in Chamber of Secrets, it was like, I don't but, know what's going on. Right. But also Harry as a character is painted in such a interesting way here that he never was before, which like, you know, last week I was saying that that, you know, the first chapter we read last week had more about Harry's like internal life than the entirety of Chamber of Secrets. And now we're like, I would say like threefold over, you know, like there's so mm-hmm. much about his, uh, you know, internal reaction to stuff and what he's feeling and thinking here. And it's so much ref- more refreshing to read than, than before when we really had no idea. Like Chamber is like this close to being second person, you know, like. yes um uh but but here like we have a very strong feeling of like what harry's going through and and, you know what he thinks about everything and and it's it's this is the first time where i've like gotten a sense of like who harry is as a character uh truly like as a character rather than like a vehicle for an ensemble cast to like act around him you know Mm -hmm. um and that's that's really cool it took three books to get there but hey yeah, yeah. And in the first one, it really doesn't bother me because he's our he's our lens to be new in the wizarding world. And so Absolutely. it doesn't really like pop up in that way. Um, but I think that he's characterized and when he's characterized well, it seems like other characters kind of follow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, um, I guess the last major thing here is a time turner, right? Like, yep. Yep, I, Hermione is is very funny because you know Harry Harry says what was that about and it was like oh my coursework or whatever yeah. and then he like he was gonna ask her more and got interrupted or or whatever it was and um, the way she kind of uh, hides it in this chapter and also the next one is is very cute. It's very funny. I, I she's like self satisfied or whatever coming out of McGonagall's office and stuff and, mm-hmm. and that's it's it's funny how this is also another another like this this carries over into the next chapter too but the the way this mystery this particular like sub mystery i guess of the time turner is so much more on the nose and obvious what's going on uh it's it kind of acts as a like good distraction from the bigger mystery i guess like i i enjoyed the the way that this was written because like it's I would say that, like, as soon as you see the the, the the schedule at the beginning of the next chapter, it's like, oh, okay, you can probably figure out what's going on, at least in some capacity. Yeah, yeah. I have such a hard time having perspective on that sort of thing, because I, like, as a kid reading these, as a young kid, that stuff wasn't obvious to me. And so it's so hard to look at it as an adult, knowing how it's going to turn out true. and be like, is this obvious? <laughs> yeah, true, true. But, but I'll save that for, for next chapter. Cause that's when we get to like the more direct lines about it. Is there anything else in this chapter? Um, I don't think so. Nope. That that's it for me. I will 
we'll jump into chapter six, which is called Talons and Tea Leaves. We are jumping right back in, and it's breakfast of the next day. Hermione's classes are all at the same time, which, you know, Ron looks at her, her schedule and she gets it and is like, you have th- three classes at nine o'clock, but then it's time to leave to go to divination. They get lost on their way. It's to a part of the castle that they've never been to, but they encounter a painting with Sir Cadogan and he helps them find the tower. Uh, we then go into the divination classroom and we get kind of our introduction to Trelawney. And they do some tea leaf reading, but she sees a grim in Harry's cup, which is a death omen. And, and he re- he's like, I've seen a dog, so I'm doomed. And he, he's very worried. And, and the whole class is like, oh, no, Harry's going to die at the end of the year because Trelawney said so. Later, they're in McGonagall's class, and she is is doing a, a big show of, of turning into a cat. And when the class doesn't clap for her transformation, she says that that Trelawney is always predicting death every year, and and it's not it's not going to happen. And and to chill out, and divination is is an imprecise art. Later, Hermione and Ron kind of get into a fight at lunch because Hermione is is saying that she doesn't believe in divination and it's it's no good and it's stupid. And Ron says that he's scared of the Grim and that his uncle Billius died after seeing a Grim. And then, and then Ron says that Hermione just doesn't like being bad at something, which, uh, and then they aren't speaking anymore. Uh, they all go down to Care of Magical Creatures, and it's with the Slytherins. Uh, Hagrid is super pathetic in this scene, uh, again, kind of, and it's, it's hippogriffs for, for the, the class. Harry goes first, and the class is scared that he's going to die because of the, the divination scene, but he does great, and he rides Buckbeak around the paddock, and it's it's all wonderful, and Buckbeak is great. Draco is up next with Buckbeak while all, all the class is, is seeing the, the hippogriffs, and Draco calls Buckbeak an ugly brute, and Buckbeak slashes his arm open with his claw. And then is, you know, taken to the hospital wing. After dinner, the trio go to visit Hagrid and he's drunk and crying and thinks he's going to get fired or maybe arrested or whatever. The governors of the school have been notified and Draco's kind of hamming it up in the hospital wing, saying that he's still in in agony and it's horrible. Uh, Hagrid does sober up and then he realizes that the three of them walk down to his hut in the middle or not in the middle of the night, but, but after dark and he yells at them and says, don't you come out here because of Harry being, uh, you know, in danger from Sirius Black. Like, don't come and visit me after dark again. I'm not worth it. And that's the end of the chapter. Ooh, this is a meaty chapter. Yeah, it is. We were talking about this yesterday and we had so much to talk in our like pre the episode like rundown and then we didn't even get to like the buckbeak stuff and like it just goes like there's so much here um uh for i guess first off the uh the the clues about the time turner with uh hermione having all the classes at the same time i love that scene um Mm -hmm. i love that ron just can't take a hint to stop put like stop asking uh yeah yeah, and, just, and the way she brushes it off is is very funny too. Yeah, yeah, she just you know I've cleared it. Yeah, where she like I've cleared it with Professor McGonagall. I, I figured it all out. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 good. And like Ron, 
Ron is just like frustrated. Well, because like, like Ron is right in this situation, but he, but it's so much clearer that there's like more going on there that he's like he really wants to be right and like wants her <laughs> to know that he's right. You know, like like I, that's again just like such good characterization uh, for them. Um, yeah, and then we get uh, so so I guess like d- did this not seem I, I i guess i can't remember you know my first time reading this that that's precisely um but I, I just i like i i feel like you're supposed to know or like or like at least supposed to be able to tell that like okay she's time traveling somehow or something because we get we get this line and then there's the line after divination where ron's like oh but you haven't gone to a residency yet or whatever you know like like something's up very yeah yeah i don't know i i again i'm like thinking back on reading this as a kid and i'm just like i don't think i thought about stuff i guess i feel like i just kind of let it like (laughs) like huh that's weird um but i i don't think i don't remember putting it together or or feeling like it was it was obvious what was going on um i mean it also I, i to be fair like as a kid you probably are reading it in a shorter amount of time. And I, I yes, think true. that the, all the time Turner stuff at the end is very confusing. Or I, re- I remember it being a bit, a bit confusing to learn about the rules of the time travel and, and, and like complete a time travel quest at the end, uh-huh. like in like a chapter. Um, so yeah, we'll, yeah, I we'll don't know. Get there. I, I will say that as much as I love this book, I do remember this maybe like time travel is always like a a rocky thing to get into in stories if you think too hard about it. But I remember Harry Potter time travel is, is a specific brand of confusing. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah because it definitely goes with one model of time travel that is like the most confusing or like the most probably not good to think about for too long um i am a time travel apologist so i guess we will we'll get (laughs) we'll get there i don't dislike time travel i don't even dislike the time turner i'm just very curious rereading this book like how um how it affects the story moving forward you know that that's my main thing is like like i i remember it working really well for this story i don't remember how um uh like does it does it completely destroy the tension of the stories moving forward because we're just gonna go like but what if they had a time turner like why don't they just time turner back every bad thing that happens you know so so we'll see like like that's the um yeah i have a lot of thoughts on that i will say that i definitely probably uh ruined cursed child um but i (laughs) I will i will will save that all of my my thoughts until we get to yes get to that point um yes i guess we can talk about sir cadogan who i love yes please let's talk about scene is so funny I it's, think I this, I laughed out loud as they say. This is the uh I think this is the best like just here's here's some JK Rowling humor like scene that we've gotten in any of the books so far. Mm-hmm. Um it is it is an entirely comic scene but it is so characterful. We get a great sense of like who this painting knight is immediately. Um <laughs> 
I I love I love that he's just so mad at the beginning, but then when he finds out they have a quest for him, he's 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 <laughs> instantly on board. He's just like so the imagery is so good of this just like like a little little short guy in in a full suit of armor messing with these kids. I don't know. It's 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 so cute. Yeah, and he you know, they're 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 pretty far away from the divination tower. And so they go uh, like at a run with Sir Cadogan, who's running through other paintings um, yeah. to, to guide them where they need to go. And it's, it's just, it's just really funny. It like, she does do good comic writing. I think. Yeah. And I think that's like such a high point of these books for me. Absolutely. And this is also like the, be- I think this is the best, um, the best use of the paintings as characters mm-hmm. so far because i don't think like, the fat lady the fat lady's like talked to them like we've, we've had scenes where like, the fat lady's talked and like has taken a nap and stuff so you can't get in but i think this is is this the first time that the paintings are like moving between each other and like this is like our first introduction to the concept of like the painting world um because it's super good like uh, this idea that like uh, the school paintings are basically like in their own you know room or dimension or whatever and they can all interact with each other and yeah. there's specifically such a great line uh, when they're following him about how like every now and then they just catch a glimpse of of you know a glint on his armor ahead of them uh, <laughs> and nowhere to go like it's 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 video gaming in a good way like normally video game he pops up as like a criticism of of writing which i i I don't i don't agree with i I think that this this feels like such a good just like little action sequence here Mm -hmm. um and such like a good just like simple like how do we make because i think the first book did this well because hogwarts was so new and then Mm -hmm. in the second book Aside from that scene where they're trying to find the Slytherin common room, we don't really get a, any good, like, interesting Hogwarts exploration or, like, like Hogwarts travel scenes. But, like, here, this is making the castle interesting again, like, as a location. Like, Yeah, and difficult- this is... It's such a like mainstay of children's literature, which is that like somewhere that is is very familiar and somewhere where you might have lived for three years and and there's still like mysterious parts of the house or a trapdoor or a secret you know wardrobe or or whatever it is. And this has that same feeling for me, where it's like they've lived there, but that they can't find the tower because they've never been there. Mm-hmm. I also like that that that. Uh this is uh, maybe it's just because i have a terrible sense of direction in general but i i love that like ron is able to point out to hermione that she's going the wrong way because the lake is that way and that's south so we like, like this creates a great sense of place like yeah um of you know and a, a sense of place and also like how much of a sense of place the characters have themselves which will also come in handy because we'll eventually in this book get to the marauders map right um, yeah yeah so I like that's again just such a nice subtle uh drop of not even a clue, just like a concept really that, that'll come up later that the that the castle is is difficult to navigate if you don't know exactly what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um do you want to take this opportunity to do our, our new video game pitch? Obviously we have Arkham Snape. <laughs> yes. He's already in the Shrieking Shack video game library. Obviously Harry Potter Skyrim. Uh yep. 
a, cl- a classic. Um, so so what's our next one? Uh, I want a Sir Sir Cadogan or Cadogan. I, I want a puzzle platformer where you are going between the pa- paintings as the knight and, and solving. That sounds puzzles. great. Yeah, it'll oh, probably have a great soundtrack. It. Yes, yes. I say um, Sir Cadogan because that's how. Um, uh, I'm oh, that's totally how Jim Dale blanking. said it. That's how Jim Dale says it. Yeah, that's absolutely. Yeah, I, I, so. I was thinking Catagam when I read it, but I think you might be right. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I know Jim Dale says it. I don't know if he's right though. Um, I will say that Jim Dale also says Voldemort, which is, right. te- is also technically correct. That's true. Uh, I guess so. I actually, I'm thinking it might be a. So if I'm thinking of like you know a, a knight, you know, uh, like a medieval knight, I'm thinking of like how it might be pronounced would be like. Cadigan or something i don't know it, it, it doesn't matter he is he is the best i he to me he is always going to be um the the knight from uh ghouls and ghosts uh, oh yeah uh, um, that... i do have some lore for you Ooh, ooh, hit me with some lore <laughs> i don't please, know if this please. is gonna be good lore um no. so uh sir Cadogan is not just nobody um apparently uh let me he was a knight of the round table. Did you get that vibe? Um, n- no, but I'll 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 take it. So he's like he's like a <laughs> secret knight that no one that never yep. got mentioned in the. Yep. Um. He's, oh, is that actually what it is? Oh, that's what it is. Uh, he's only in the Wizarding King Arthur stories. Is is okay. the lore, which makes me also okay. very confused because they're referred to as stories, and yet Merlin is a real person. So I'm having oh, I'm right. having like a little bit of um. Yeah. I, I can't quite I can't quite figure <laughs> that out. Um, I was picking I was picking up a very like Don Quixote vibe from him, so that kind totally. of like threw, threw me for a loop. But I guess he's like the Don Quixote of of the. Of the round table i could see that i could see that um because i mean i guess he'd, he would need to be someone of some kind of import to like have a portrait right so i could see him having you know a semi-important backstory i kind of like that i like his fat yeah. pony too yeah me too there are um, very good um there are very good um pictures of him on the on the wiki which i assume came from pottermore but they're they're very cute yeah there's a there's a great one in particular of him running through the painting of the the like women in the french like revolution <laughs> dresses i thought that was great yeah but all this is in service so we we have a great character moment in service of getting us to the divination classroom which is where we get another incredible character introduction uh trelawney is an icon i, I love, love her. her so much um i I th- this has been a surprise to me. I would say this this chapter defied my expectations quite a bit. The the divination scene is excellent. It is such so Trelawney's like whole aesthetic in this in her classroom is wonderful. I love it. It's very moody. She's got incense. She's got like uh like cushy armchairs and it's all like, you know, crystal balls and 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 I just I loved this scene. It's yeah. So the setting is, is really good. And also I think incredibly important. Um, the, uh, the atmosphere is very thick and kind of imposing and, and like off putting to the characters, which I think adds a lot to like Trelawney is able to, whether or not her predictions or whatever are true. Mm-hmm. she's definitely like mastered like 
like the presentation aspect and like leaving all of these kids completely terrified at the end of her class is really funny to me um in 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 that she i don't know she's just like dropping these like little like the stuff with like the teacups and the stuff with like what was it like is it lavender or no Pavardi Bertil she tells um you know beware a red-haired man like she's just like tossing stuff out there right mm-hmm. um but like that wouldn't really uh and i guess you know i'm getting a little ahead of myself here but it wouldn't really affect them as much i think without that fixed setting you know um yeah like they, i think they're already a little like dazed and off kilter because of 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 how striking and weird the room they're in is and um, that 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 really worked for me i was really happy with that stuff <laughs> Yeah, I think that the only that I can really think of, and, and maybe this is not true, but when I think about an atmosphere being established for for a classroom at Hogwarts, I think of most of the classes are just like normal, like prep school type classes. And then we get um, an atmosphere and a description for the potions class because it's in a dungeon and there's like jars of dead stuff all over and, and you know it's it's dark and horrible and um and snape is a jerk and then and then this is the other one that we get and it's the up in the up in the tall tower away from the rest of the castle and it's it's like spooky and that like you know fortune telling presentation style uh atmosphere going on but but like other than potions i think this is really the only time we get that for a classroom yeah this is aside from i guess like professor bins's class which was described in detail on purpose to make it seem boring mm-hmm. i think this is the first time that we get a real sense of like what it is like to be in one of the classes mm-hmm. um uh and, and that and that's really great but god i just trelawney is so great um her introduction what, what what's the first line that introduces her she looked like a giant glittering bug yeah or whatever. a giant insect um and you know shawls and bangles and uh and huge like round glasses yeah um, and, and you know she's a very important character i feel like it's easy to forget about trelawney but she is the one that made the the, the prophecy which is you know a, a big part of the story i guess yeah um and the so the thing that i think makes this scene work really well and what makes trelawney such a fun character in this scene is this this provides such a great sense of ambiguity about divination and how like reliable it is so there's Mm -hmm. stuff that happens immediately that that is clearly true like like her knowing that neville is going to break one of the teacups uh, and and i love specifically the the uh, you know I, I'm, I'm rather attached to the pink one so when you break your first one can you just get a blue one um uh so like like both both a good prediction but also just like a, a nice little character detail for trelawney but then there's stuff that's like completely out there like like the beware head red-haired man thing you could you could easily just say some shit like that like after seeing that there's ron in the room or whatever you could even just say it to someone like it doesn't mean anything you could just you know you could just make that up and you know that thing you're dreading will happen on the 16th is is again another very kind of broad cold reedy type thing 
but you know, but she mm-hmm. also got some stuff right. So there's this really good balance here of whether or not she's telling the truth or kind of playing things up or being a charlatan or kind of a mix of all of those things in a way that I think I remember Trelawney not being this good. And I think that's because in later books or maybe even later in this book, I don't really know for sure. She, her presentation becomes a lot more, it skews a lot more to like, obviously she's faking it. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is a, bummer because i i like i like that this this especially because you know this is a mystery novel and we need we need stuff stoking the mystery i like that that in this chapter it is kind of up in the air how real or fake all this stuff is yeah um i think that like if i have to take this chapter as death of the author and also completely in a vacuum i I think this is like easily one of the best scenes so far. Totally. Um, I think it I think it it works really well. Um I love that it's it's framed between like these these things that she's able to demonstrate as being true or like the ambiguity of it being true with able to characterize Hermione as the person who has cultural context that is, you know, she's, she's muggle born. So she probably is, is relating this to uh, like seeing uh, like psychics, like hotlines on the TV Mm -hmm. and and having Mm -hmm. that cultural context of like being like, this is not true. Um, I, I have such a vivid like idea of like, one of Hermione's parents like explaining cold reading to her. She's so, she's so confident in her own knowledge that this is, this is true. Um, or rather that it's that the Trelawney is, is a phony, um, which is, which is great because this is someone who is being introduced to magic at 11 years old after being raised a muggle, but this is where she's drawing the line. She's like, no, absolutely not. There's no way. And, and, and then that tension that it grows between her and Ron, where Ron is like, my uncle died of a grim. Uh, I can't, I can't believe you would say that. And she's like, well, he must've died of fright. Like, it's just, it's so good. Um, it's so characterful for both of them. Um, well, and and Ron's like both. So like one Trelawney saying that you know Hermione just does not have the aura is so good because the <laughs> that 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 is an insult that works in two ways. One because like Hermione clearly doesn't believe in this stuff anyway. So mm-hmm. so so like that that's already just like a, a cutting way to like have your teacher talk about you but also you know that deep down hermione would still love to be good at it right like like hermione like if if trelawney had said like oh you know you know it may take you a while to to learn to to you know read the divine or you know learn to believe or whatever but i think you have a uh you know you have a good aura or something if she had said that it probably would have placated Hermione like immediately, right? Like, like, mm-hmm. like if she was told she was good at it, she would have shut the fuck up, probably. But, but instead, everyone is sort of like, like Ron, like Ron says, like you know, you're just mad because you're not good at something. Like Hermione is in a situation where she is not able to call someone on their bullshit and is in fact 
kind of being called out for her own bullshit and like a weird backfire <laughs> it's great it, it's such a fun scene yeah and, and this whole scene like if you had asked me what i was expecting going into this i would have never expected it to be so kind of fair-handed to all the characters there is so much ambiguity there there is uh a concerted effort to make it unclear what Trelawney can and can't do or how how real or not it might be because obviously we we know that Harry has seen a dog right like what we see is the grim isn't a grim it's 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 his godfather that we we find out which um and, and we know Harry's been spooked by by seeing a dog and it's it's hard to know and then but then also having another character in the next scene which is McGonagall um essentially dismissing Trelawney it just kind of sows that doubt um I want this treatment of Trelawney to continue I don't know if it will yeah so let's tie, let's let's hear from uh i don't know if you've heard of her famous author jk rowling uh, oh who she, oh i she, thought she died <laughs> uh yeah no you know before she died though she wrote some some very interesting words about trelawney these are a bummer i think um <laughs> because not only because i like trelawney as a character i think she's really fun and i you know i enjoy her presence but like these kind of undercut this book a little bit and, you know, she wrote these years after the fact, so I'm sure there's probably a point. Like I said, we're on the lookout for the point where JK became Arch. Um, and <laughs> this writing is definitely post-Arch JK. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's let's dig in here. This is this is a, a rapid-fire assault on All her right. own character here. Conscious of her low status on the staff, who are almost all more talented than she is, Sybil spends most of her time apart from her colleagues up in her stuffy and overcrowded tower office. Unsurprisingly, perhaps, she has developed an over-reliance on alcohol. Okay, slow down. (laughs) Conscious of her low status on the staff, who are almost all more talented than she is? Like, settle down like be nice i don't know she's i i mean i get that like you know we do get the scene where like mcgonagall doesn't really believe in her stuff but like that's just such a weird thing to write about your own character um uh then this continues professor trelawney and mcgonagall are polar opposites the one something of a charlatan manipulative and grandiose and the other fiercely intelligent stern and upright i knew however that when the consummate outsiders and non-hogwartian Hogwarts, Jesus. Dolores Umbridge <laughs> attempted to oust Sybil from the school. Minerva McGonagall, who has been critical of Trelawney on many occasions, would show the true kindness of her character and rally to her defense. There is a pathos about P- Professor Trelawney, infuriating though I would find her in real life, and I think that Minerva sensed her underlying feeling of inadequacy. Again, real backhanded here. Like, like Minerva McGonagall stepped in because she knew that P- P- Trelawney feels inadequate? Like... Jesus. There's a lot to unpack here. Um like a lot. Um is there is there another thing that JK Rowling said about her name, Sybil? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. So so um yeah, let's yeah, let's talk about the the Sybil thing. Um 
I love Cornish surnames and had never used one until the third book in the series, so that is how Trelawney got her family name. I did not want to call her anything comical or which suggested chicanery, but something impressive and attractive. Trelawney is a very old name, suggestive of Sybil's over-reliance on her antristy seeking, while seeking to impress. There is a beautiful old Cornish song featuring the name, uh, featuring the name Trelawney, the Song of the Western Men. Sybil's first name is a homonym of Sybil, which was a female clairvoyant in ancient times. My American editor wanted me to use that spelling of Sybil, but I preferred my version because while it keeps the reference to the August clairvoyance of old, it is really no more than a variant of the unfashionable female name Sybil with one L. This is very confusing. Professor Trelawney, I felt, did not qualify as a Sybil. Why? Why not? She literally literally does the same. Like, I'm so like okay <laughs> let's unpack trelawney a little bit right yeah yeah, um, yeah. so trelawney's great great grandmother i think don't quote me on that a a, a, f- a female ancestor of hers uh name is cassandra right trelawney clearly is is like the cassandra of this story right like mm-hmm. like she she can only predict bad things and is is ousted from her her community to to live in the tower and 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 predict death and 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 all of that um sybils i understand I, and again like i'm i didn't really have like a, a greek mythology phase so like i'm i'm probably a little bit butchering this but but the, it was like divinely inspired kind of predictions right like you couldn't like like i thought that the difference was like an oracle you can go to them and they're always they're always predicting stuff at you and sybils like have to be divinely inspired to 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 give you a prediction or or something to that effect i think i think if i remember right i i, I greek is not my main area of expertise i thought that this like sybils and oracles are basically interchangeable like sybils are oracles yeah, I think um, I think that I there's think. either way. Yes, um, tr- Trelawney in the they story, are real mythical. Yeah, has trances where she gives the quote unquote real predictions, right? Yes, like like they are prophecies. They go to the Department of Mysteries. What like one of them is the biggest like plot points of the story um, that that Harry has to kill or be killed by Voldemort. Um, but all of the other stuff she does being tea leaf readings and, uh, you know, palmistry, that sort of thing. That's not, that's not from, from symbols and oracles, right? Like that is much more evocative of like, you know, the, the fortune teller. Um, and yet those things are also real because they are, because those predictions come true a lot in the story right like she sees right. a grim and it's it's you know uh harry's godfather Sirius black um neville breaks his teacup uh and harry is in mortal danger like, harry, like yeah harry's always in mortal danger um i feel like and one of the biggest fan theories like the people that people love to talk about is when trelawney comes down for christmas and says like the 13th person to sit at this table will die and it predicted mad eye moody's death because Pettigrew was at the table or you know? dumbledore right D- yeah or Dumb- like, I, yeah whatever whatever but yes i, yes. I don't i mean a lot is is like a lot of stock is put into Trelawney's like everyday predictions that aren't like her trans oracle predictions. 
Well, um, and it's it's frustrating from a storytelling perspective too because, like, it's it, or it's weird that J.K. Rowling is so immediately dismissive out of hand of this character later on because, like, she's a teacher, um, and this is whether you believe in it in real life or not thinking about this like in in terms of the story this is a world where magic is real and also something you have to learn and is difficult and i don't understand why divination is treated any differently from like you know because we see characters being bad at transfiguration and other spells all the time and so like characters getting divination stuff wrong I don't know why that makes it a binary, like either it works or it doesn't. Like, because one of the best parts of this chapter, this scene, is when um, they're all looking at Harry's teacup and they all have like different interpretations of what it might be. Um, mm-hmm. And they you know they have to like look in the, and like that's great because that 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 is a great way to write something, you know, about. I mean, we're we're getting into like some real heady stuff with like fate versus free will and whatnot. But like, if you if you are writing a story where fate is a concept, right? Mm-hmm. Um, writing it so it is still wooly and open to interpretation and difficult is a really good way to present that. And I like the ambiguity it has because it it serves two purposes. One, it it makes you constantly one you know able to wonder you know is is Trelawney lying? Is she telling the truth? But not only that in the context of the story it creates a um a field of study or whatever you want to call it that would two individual characters have different you know they would have different levels of stock and faith in it which is really cool like mm-hmm. you know in a, in a world where magic can basically do anything for you the fact that there's still a field of study that is like kind of up in the air is really interesting and though and also something that like is so tied culturally to like you know you know some of the like the muggleborns they just are shrugging and like i don't i don't fucking know what like and like some of the muggle or the um excuse me the wizards who are you know characters who might have been raised with these stories and 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 like folklores and superstitions are very scared of it and like that works really well as a world building thing and a character building thing um so I don't know why you would like after these books are all done, write all the stuff about how like yeah all this shit sucks like like because it doesn't. It's really cool what she wrote here, and I'm surprised that she's so quick to like disavow it. I guess. Yeah, because the way that I read her thoughts about Trelawney is just not how I read it here. Granted, this is the first time we're seeing her, so I don't know if the text gets less fair to her as we go on, because she's a really cool character here. Um, and I I guess we'll see. We'll see. As it stands, I love her. I love the ambiguity. I love not knowing whether she's fucking with people whether she's making stuff up whether she's real whether it's a mix of all three like i just love the theatrics of this character and also what it brings out of hermione and ron in in these scenes Mm -hmm. yeah because like because yeah hermione would love to be right and hermione would hermione running up against a you know a, a class where I guess emotion is much more important than um you know hard facts and logic like like that just completely like she's completely crumpled right like she can't deal with this thing that might be a little more airy than than any of her other classes 
I guess my fear is, is that um, the lesson that we're going to learn isn't that, um, you know, that Hermione needs to learn the lesson. I'm afraid it's going to be like, oh, Hermione was right the whole time. Yeah, that's what I'm worried about. But like, like here, this is such a like to me, this is like. This is like the the thing where in real life, like you have, you know, very, you know, very, very smart friends or whatever or or people, you know, whether you went to college with people or high school with people or whatever who were very good at math but terrible at english you know that kind of thing <laughs> where it's like 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 i can't fucking deal with this class where the answer there is no right answer you know um uh and that is that is a really interesting thing for hermione to have to go through because it's you know everything she's been doing so far or everything she's been good at so far has been very hard academic stuff um you know history classes and and uh I mean, spell she does- classes and whatnot she does drop arithmancy, right? As like the one, the one she liked more. Is that yes, yes, yes? It was totally, arithmancy. Yeah. Like I liked math more. Um, yeah. So I, I guess I guess this this is a we talked a lot about divination and a lot about Trelawney, and I we've only seen her for a chapter. So I guess we this oh, this we is the her. developing story. Um, she's great. I hope that the story is not too mean to her. Um, I, this might if it does indeed become mean to her later on and i guess jk rowling is mean to her i'm just going to point out that she likes the pink cups and for some yeah. reason it's like bad to like pink in these stories like consistently yeah. i guess i guess we've had petunia likes pink uh so natural ani likes pink, pink and we're gonna get yeah. umbridge and anyway so just gonna point that out and then just i evil, guess we can evil move, girl stuff evil girl stuff i'm not like other girls um i guess we can move on to care of magical creatures buck beak buck beak buck beak he's good um i i was laughing through this whole um the whole harry riding buck beak scene because instead of just riding around us like a like a paddock like you would ride a horse around a paddock in the movie they decided to have him fly around the whole castle and it's just maybe the funniest scene Uh, and that's that's all i could think of um i want to say one i um this is this is a great extension of hagrid's character i love that hagrid still clearly has not really learned his lesson after two books he's Um, such a dummy He's such a dummy. I I love him, but he is a dummy. Um, But also, this is the most relatable Malfoy has ever been. uh, (laughs) When he's like getting pissed at Hagrid for assigning the book, where he's like, "Oh, I thought you know, I thought the book would be funny," and Malfoy says, "Oh yeah, real fucking funny, dude." Like, like like this is the first time I've like been kind of on Malfoy's side about something. Was is the discussion about the uh, the Monster Book of Monsters? is so pathetic in this scene though like yeah. i couldn't i was like i just i don't i i know it's to make me feel sorry for him and i guess i do but i'm also just like pull it together man yeah why did he not run his lesson plan past dumbledore do you not i guess realize? not dumbledore just says do whatever um, uh yeah sure you can take you know the hippogriffs those things yeah sure why not first day sure like like <laughs> I, I oh man i mean i love the hippogriffs i love buckbeak and malfoy did deliberately provoke them but also like hagrid my man you probably should have started with the flobber worms or whatever it was they were talking about like <laughs> um like yeah the like the 
I mean, again, I would not not in the sense that this is a bad scene. I think it's a great scene, but just like just such a train wreck in terms of like Hagrid, like doing the same thing Hagrid has always done in these books and like just not not being able to like move past this this like underestimating problem he has with these creatures. I like that he's gone from one book being arrested because he may have murdered some children and also not having taken any school since third year, which he would have been 13 to just teaching this class with no oversight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did he get did it? He... Did he get his master's in teaching somewhere along the way? <laughs> yeah. What, what does it take to be a teacher in, in the wizarding world? Clearly guess, nothing. Connections, I guess. Like, you know, Dumbledore. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I I love um I love the hippogriffs. There's so many good is is this the, the Mea culpa book for everyone pointing out that, that JK Rowling hates animals? Because there's so many good animals in this. Uh, uh yeah. But um Hagrid was swinging around a dead polecat in That's this, true. In this yes. chapter, he was, so he was swinging. Uh yeah. But the, the hippogriffs are cool. I love the I love the um uh the thing about you having to bow to them like because because they're they're not a outrageously magical creature from what we've seen like compared like compared to other stuff we've gotten in in these books so far like like they are kind of a bog standard like mythical creature right rather than like something with a funny purpose i guess like like yeah. appears in the harry potter series but giving them that the personality trait of like oh you have to bow to them and then they'll bow to you like that's very cute and kind of a funny image i guess of like or, or like a funny like way to kind of personify the the thing about you know there's lots of creatures you know where the advice you know in real life where the advice is like you know don't look him in the eye or do look him in the eye or like you know <laughs> like like approach them with your dominant hand or like approach underhanded so they know to respect you like like there's all this kind of like vagaries of like how to deal with animals in real life and having one in harry potter where it's like no they literally bow to you if you bow to them is really funny I think. <laughs> it's like a nice yeah. a nice little and they can't talk to you but they will be able to tell if you say something rude <laughs> yeah yes they can they can they can hear you they can't talk back um and they will bow yeah. yeah i mean it's like it's like the opposite of you know the i feel like people make jokes about this a lot and it's like you you know you can say anything to a dog and it's, as long as you say it in like a cheerful voice they'll wag their tail yes. and, and are be, will be happy and this is like the opposite of that right like you can, yes. because draco's just talking he's saying like like you're not so bad you great ugly brute but it knows what you're saying yeah hippogriffs don't want you to cuss that's the um they're very proud. I, I, yes. I don't know. I thought that was cute, but uh, <sighs> Hagrid is dumb. He's just real dumb. Um, yeah. And then it's hard because he probably shouldn't be a teacher. No, I mean, like that's. <laughs> I think that's what makes this such like a good. Yes, it's, it's a good conflict, good. like a good story, because like you know, Malfoy's clearly hamming it up. But Haggard really shouldn't have been showing them hippogriffs on the first day to thirteen-year-olds, you know. <laughs> like, um, I don't know the 
the the the other thing i will say about this this is a uh, the writing in this in this book has been great so far did you notice though how many times this chapter says hagrid roared did you pick up on that at all it's like five I didn't times somehow i feel like i've noticed that in other chapters where i'm like it's an odd word that will be used within like two or three chapters that surprises me but i didn't notice it in this case i believe it, we though. haven't gotten to the real one i i don't know which book it starts in but at some point jk rowling starts using <laughs> ejaculated to mean said which yeah. is like one of the funniest writing quirks i've ever seen in a kid's book but but here in this chapter specifically it is hagrid roared and it happens at least five times it's like every time <laughs> he's sing- it's well, a little much she's just um he's a loud guy yep i guess so um he does he when they come and visit him later he's he's very drunk because he thinks he's gonna get fired i guess yeah um sure which uh, you know what Mm, i'd at least put him on like a like a performance plan maybe uh after after that but uh yeah i don't know Whew, this was a lot. Do you have anything else to say about this this chapter? Oh, I, I skipped over something, which is the very short transfiguration scene. Um, oh, it's so good. Yeah, it has my my best, my favorite line of the chapter, which is when McGonagall demonstrates that she's an animagus. Um, all the kids are like stressed out because because Trelawney had, they're just coming back from divination and, and Trelawney said that Harry's going to die. Um, so she demonstrates her transformation and then says not that it matters but that's the first time my transformation's not got applause from a class (laughs) not uh, mad uh, not mad yeah not mad but (laughs) it's it's very good um and and that's um and i also mentioned uh that that this is again a very seamless like we get the name animagus dropped in this chapter um which is a plot point and instead of and it and it works because the the animagus transformation is not the point of this scene or it's not like the main thing that happens the main thing that happens is that mcgonagall said like here's that that trelawney predicted harry's death and she she says you know she does this every year it's it's not true. He's fine. He needs, still needs to turn in his homework. Um, but the clue that is going to be important is is the animagus thing that is is dropped in so seamlessly, yes. and not just yeah. like a scene where it's like, "Hello, class. I'm here to teach you about the animagus transformation. You can turn <laughs> into an animal, for example, a big dog." <laughs> right. Yeah. That's that's yeah. the chamber of that's the chamber of secrets version of this scene. No, the chamber of secrets version is Hermione raising her hand and going, "Miss, miss, can you teach us about this animagus thing?" And they argue about it for a chapter, and yeah. then we get, yeah. that. and then we get that, yeah, <laughs> pipes, pipes? Question mark? <laughs> pipes? You solved it. What a good set of chapters. We've talked. Jesus, we're at like two hours. This is just a lot of good stuff i love this book so far yeah yeah i i i feel like everyone coming to our cynical harry potter podcast and we we gush about the chapters for two hours but they're just (laughs) they're just very good i i'm i'm putting you know i'm just gonna put it out there i think this is gonna be the good book like i i don't i think this is gonna be the good one yeah i i think you're right um 
I, I think that this this is just going to be like a perfect mix of like tone and like just good mystery construction that we will probably not get again in this series. But hey, I'm you know willing to be proven wrong. Um, but I I just I know that in the next book we're gonna have Frank and we're gonna have Spew and we're gonna have <laughs> all that good stuff. So hmm, I'm just enjoying what I have for now. You know. Yep. This is it. This is it. Well, I think it is definitely time that we took a break uh, and we'll be back. Sounds good. Welcome back. We ran pretty long today uh, talking about Prisoner of Azkaban. It's a good book so far. Um, so we will spare you a long ending segment here, and we will just wrap up with something a little light. Last week, we had that great confessions segment, and we <laughs> got the call for some confessions. We got a couple that I want to read on here that are pretty funny um and if you would like to send in yours and maybe get it read on the show uh you can always email us at shriekcast at gmail.com or you can uh just tweet at us we're at shriekcast um and uh and we we might take a look and, and read what you have to say but um uh liz what are you expecting from from the confessions here what, what kind of thing oh uh, gosh i you know it's i i'm so excited for this uh there are so many kinds of confessions there could be and i you know the confessions coming out of hurtwood house i'm sure are top top tier yes oh yeah hurtwood house best house <laughs> best confessions deepest darkest secrets oh yeah um okay so let's start off here i love this one uh you may have seen me retweet this one but uh this is from <laughs> Twitter user Abolish Skin, which is a great name, first of all. Um, if we're confessing sins, when I was like 12, I wrote a fan fiction about Snape and Lily's bastard they had when Lily was married. She was a cool Slytherin played by the goth girl from Victorious. That's incredible. Um, that fucking rules, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, this absolutely a sin, a horrible sin to commit that I don't know who who else would have a sin anything like this. Certainly not me or anyone I know. Um, <laughs> so, so I, I, you know, can't can't relate. Um, but I, I do respect it. And I, and I think I think this this user will be OK. I think that's perfect casting, too. Like, can we talk about that? Oh, God, it really is, isn't it? Um. Victoria's I think that was that was a Nickelodeon show I think right um but that that just makes me think about our our plans for for the CW show uh for Harry Potter our Harry Potter CW reboot and casting in that is going to be so so much fucking fun um, yeah I mean, I just I just like I just love this image of like man going to Hogwarts and Snape is my my dad Snape is you know? oh fuck yeah that's so good like snape yeah like like if you're thinking like the like that kind of sitcom format that the victorious and stuff have where like 
I imagine Snape would be like the character who like walks in like halfway through the episode and the whole audience goes like woo or something like that like because <laughs> he's there to to put the oh, smack yeah. on 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 his kids for getting out of line and he's like what are you doing out in the corridor at, at night yeah and, and it's like and it's like you're you're the you're the goth you know you're the girl from victorious and you're goth and you have your goth dad that's also your potions teacher and it's just it's just perfect i love it it's it's i don't know the actress's name but i know like i've never watched victorious but like it's one of those like cultural osmosis things where <laughs> where like i just know like oh yeah there there totally is is this character from victorious i specifically know about this because of like have you noticed like like the the generation beneath us is now starting to make like their memes out of things they watched as a kid like mm-hmm. drake and josh memes or a thing and like i love i've never seen an episode of drake and josh but i i, I love that uh where's the door meme uh <laughs> you know and 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 i i you know I, I think victorious has a bunch of stuff like that too uh we're old hmm. we're getting old yeah. um like snape um so that <laughs> you know but yeah, I, I think I think that's a, a very good confession, and I think that is definitely a sin. But who among us has not? <laughs> Certainly not me. Uh, <laughs> moving on. One day, no, you know, one day we we need to uncover like some fan mm. fiction or something, and maybe mm. do a reading if that exists anywhere. I don't know. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> oh. Sounds like you might. <laughs> well, maybe. Moving on. <laughs> okay. Yes. Let's move on. Let's move on to this. Uh, this is a longer email. This is kind of, I guess, a confession and a, a question. Um, oh, great! It, it is quite good. Hi. Yeah, this is from. Oh, sorry. This is from Eve uh, uh, to us. Uh, Hi. Here's my actual, real Harry Potter confession. When I first started reading Harry Potter, I thought Mrs. Norris was a human woman who could turn into a cat like Professor McGonagall. I assumed that I had somehow missed or forgot about some scene where she was introduced in human form or something and that she just just spending 99% of her time as a cat. I guess I thought that because she had a very human name and there was already a transforming cat lady. <laughs> anyway, this made all the scenes with, with her or people talking about her real weird. <laughs> I checked Mrs. Norris's page on the Harry Potter wiki while writing this and it says it is unknown if she joined the fight in the Battle of Hogwarts. <laughs> How what? many Death Eaters do you think Mrs. Norris killed? Uh, oh my. Um, I Okay, first the confession. I feel like that is completely reasonable. I think, yeah. it was, I think it was last episode that I was confused about a plot point because I literally just skipped over a paragraph. Like, my yeah. eyes just moved. And, and so I think, like, Mrs. Norris, human name. Um... We, there is another character that transforms into a cat right. many times. I think that is is totally reasonable. Um, again, makes it very funny, all the other scenes that she's in. Also, Filch's like, reaction when she's petrified. Obviously, that it would be sad for you. Makes it... But it's like, no, my... my no, Mrs. Norris! My wife. <laughs> <laughs> and so is this, it, would that, that would mean that his name would be like Filch Norris uh instead of Ar- is he's like Ar- argus norris i guess or yeah, maybe she yeah. just kept her own name when they got married and she's still mrs norris um that definitely makes all the scenes where people talk about like kicking her and stuff really funny like <laughs> oh, like, like not like, you think she would bad. transform back be like yeah. hey 
Hey, fucking quit hey, it. <laughs> um, no, I do sympathize though because, like, like you said, you you skipped over the grim on the cover of the book thing last. I time, did. I did. And I skipped over the the line. Like, there was like one line that indicated that is that a paragraph was like a like a internal thought sequence, and I thought that uh, Stan Shunpike knew that he was Harry Potter on the bus uh, right uh, yeah and i had to like reread it two times to be like oh wait no this is just like a an imagined scene um so yeah so definitely not a sin i i'm 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 definitely on board there i would love to i need to check this out this this thing about mrs norris and the battle of hogwarts because that's incredible <laughs> I, 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 know because this is a this is i talked about this at the beginning of the episode this is a prime like harry potter wiki thing where you read it and you say like wait what and you realize that like someone was like well they never said so they just like put that in there like it's relevant um i i would like to combine this question with the confession and think that she was an animagus that's why she has a human name she spent the entire time as a cat transformed back into a human to fight in the battle of hogwarts um definitely killed at least 69 death eaters so i'm i'm on the nice um i'm on the (laughs) harry potter wiki right now so one it does say right here it is unknown if she joined the fight with or without filch it is unknown what happened to her after the war although given her age of around 14 or possibly older during the battle of hogwarts it is plausible that mrs norris has since passed away so thanks for that i guess um but i would like to also point out that the she has an affiliation section oh uh and her loyalty is to Argus Filch, owner, and Hogwarts. Mm. Uh, this, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm coming around here. There's some behind the scenes stuff here about like people suspecting she might also be a Kniezel like Crookshanks. Right. Yeah, um, I have read that. Wait, uh, I'm sorry. There's a lot more here than just this Battle of Hogwarts <laughs> thing. Uh, Mrs. Norris seems exceptionally smart for a cat to the point that many have suspected she is a cat slash Kniezel cross like Crookshanks or an Animagus. However, J.K. Rowling has stated on her website that she is just a highly unpleasant cat. This was confirmed again when Rowling stated on Twitter in response to a fan query that Mrs. Norris would lose in a very brutal close, close fight with Crookshanks as Crookshanks' Kniezel ancestry would eventually give him the edge. What the fuck? why are you doing like like why does it need to be brutal why are they fighting is this like crookshanks crookshanks would tear mrs norris limb from limb is this like fucking like like who would win mrs norris or goku like like why is this (laughs) uh that's really something that i didn't need to know but thanks joe this is pretty cute i'm gonna end this i'm gonna i'm gonna close our 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 wiki exploration here with something more blessed (laughs) several animal (laughs) actors portray mrs norris throughout the films the most notable includes main coons named maximus elanus and cornelius and animatronics were also used specific animal actors were also used for specific purposes maximus was trained to run alongside filch and jump onto his shoulders while elanus was trained to be while elanus was trained to be held in filch's arms without squirming she was so good at her job that she often fell asleep during shoots. Aww. That's good. I love, I love that. that. I love that. Um, but yeah, uh, whether or not she she fought in the Battle of Hogwarts, <laughs> I, 
Oh, uh, uh, thank you, Eve, for that one. Uh, I would say you are definitely absolved of your sin, uh, and and thank you for the question. Um, yeah, I think that'll do it for us today. We we went we went very long today, uh, but 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 because this was just such a good reading. Um, if you enjoyed the episode, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com/shriekcast. You can find bonus episodes such as us discussing the Satanic Panic of the late '90s. Uh, and also our first Fantastic Beasts movie recap episode. Um, our theme song is Hot McGonagall by Cheshire Moon. Um, and uh, you want to leave us a review on iTunes, you can do that on iTunes. That always helps us out a lot. Spread the word. We've been getting a lot of like buzz recently. It's been awesome. So thank you, everyone, for spreading the show around. It means a lot to us. And Liz uh oh you know i was gonna drop a spoiler for a project that we were working on but um i'm not going to yet i will just say that we've both been reading another book um, and might want to (laughs) encourage other people to do the same you know read another book yeah please read another book Cause this hot mama is just a cat in disguise